In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When the gyms closed the first time, I started taking walks for exercise. I began exploring my own neighborhood, the Tri-City area of Vista, on foot for the first time. Once or twice a week, I would come over here to Carlsbad to walk along Carlsbad Boulevard and enjoy the view and sounds of the ocean. As you can imagine, the boulevard is much more crowded, especially near sunset, than is Grapevine Road. Here in Carlsbad, I would do my best to catch people's eye and try to say hello. Very few people acknowledged my greeting or even my presence. And it didn't seem to matter whether they had those things in their ears or not. In contrast, nearly everyone in my own neighborhood would smile and say hello. A man on a Stairmaster in his garage would wave from 50 yards away. People in cars would wave and smile. I didn't know any of these people any more than I knew the people in Carlsbad, but they were much more friendly. Why? The ocean, of course, attracts lots of people. Lots of what we call strangers, right? Tri-City, on the other hand, doesn't attract strangers. If you're walking down Hill Drive, you probably live nearby. It's a classic us-and-them problem. Theodore Dalrymple is an English cultural critic. He published a book in the early part of this century called The Wilder Shores of Marx, which is a travelogue of his journeys through Soviet-influenced countries in the late 1980s. Listen to what he writes about his trip to Pyongyang, North Korea in 1989. He writes, In the center of Pyongyang rose something that looked like a great concrete rocket, the shape of a spaceship from the comics of my youth, a thousand feet high with row on row of portholes. Atop the 105th story fluttered a huge red flag. At the bottom, a large poster depicted the completed structure the concrete walls to be faced with shiny blue tiles. This would-be wonder of the world is to become a hotel with 3,000 bedrooms. Since the existing luxury hotels of Pyongyang are seldom more than a tenth full, why this colossus of hospitality? The answer is simple and mad. The South Koreans, the ideological enemy par excellence, were awarded a contract in Singapore to build a hotel of 103 stories. The North Koreans, with their 105-story structure, needed something just a little bit better. Dalrymple continues, Is it merely part of the grandiosity that inspired Kim Il-sung to erect a triumphal arch one meter higher than the Arc de Triomphe and a stone tower one meter higher than the Washington Monument, the tallest freestanding stone structure in the world, to commemorate his own 70th birthday? This is what my mother used to call playing one-upper, You've got to be just one-up on everything when you're playing one-upper. Interestingly, the people we tend to compete with the most are those who are most like us. Hence, the North Korean competition with the South Koreans. There's no one on earth that has a more similar culture or more similar racial qualities because North Koreans and South Koreans are the same race. But each has to be a little bit better than the other. My mother certainly hoped I'd grow out of playing one-upper, but we all seem to want to be just a little bit better don't we? Better than our neighbors, better than our siblings, and certainly better than those who are different from us. We didn't outgrow it, did we? It just gets worse. All of our readings today has something to do with foreigners, that is, the them of the us and them. Our gospel tells the story of a Canaanite woman who seeks out our Lord that he might cure her sick daughter. 
Our epistle reading treats the Jews, those who were descended by birth from Abraham, as foreigners to Christians. St. Paul reminds his Gentile readers in Rome that he, St. Paul, is a Jew, and that it was the Jews who were the keepers of the faith for thousands of years before our Lord came along. Our psalm repeats the phrase, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. All peoples, both us and them, will praise the God whose works are known to the ends of the earth. But it is our Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah where I would like to dwell most carefully today. Isaiah writes in the 8th century BC, there's already an us and them even among Jews. About 180 years before Isaiah is prophesying, the kingdom had split in two. The northern tribes called themselves Israel, the southern tribes called themselves Judah. Isaiah is prophesying to the southern tribes. The northern tribes had already been overrun and defeated by a real them, the Assyrians. Thus says the Lord. That's how our lectionary reading begins. And when an Old Testament prophet says, thus says the Lord, that's what he means. This is what the Lord says. It's not subject to debate, so listen up. And what does the Lord say according to Isaiah? Get ready by keeping justice and doing righteousness. Why? Because my salvation is coming. The lectionary skips a few verses, and it's always good to see what's been skipped, and I like to speculate why. In verses 2 to 5 of Isaiah 56, there's stuff about eunuchs who keep the Sabbath, which I suspect is why those verses were left out. Nobody likes to hear about eunuchs these days, you know. And on the other hand, verse 2, left out of the lectionary reading, said the, the ones who do this, that is, who get ready by keeping justice and doing righteousness, they are blessed. The left out verses also have some emphasis on keeping the Sabbath, which I'll say more about in a minute. We get back to foreigners when we rejoin the lectionary at verse 6. The foreigners, who are undoubtedly Gentiles, join themselves to the Lord. Just like any good Jew of the day, they minister, love, and serve the Lord, and again, keep the Sabbath. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, is not a popular commandment these days. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, very popular. Keeping the Sabbath, not so much. And this is not a new thing. St. Augustine of Hippo writes this in the fourth century. When you ask why a Christian does not keep the Sabbath, if Christ came not to destroy the law but to fulfill it, my reply is that a Christian does not keep the Sabbath precisely because what was prefigured in the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. For we have our Sabbath in him who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. St. Augustine quoting our Lord. In the Sabbath, though, are all the ideas of Christian discipleship. Worship, certainly, but also rest in the Lord, trust in the Lord, and service to the Lord. In many cases, the Sunday gathering is called a worship service, right? Taking a day off and doing no work, not even thinking about work, that takes trust in God, doesn't it? The Sabbath laws also required that the people of God not require anyone else to work. That is, even those who don't believe wouldn't be working because the people of God would not be coming to their businesses. That creates a real us and them, don't you think? But the psalmist says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Not just us, but them too. The last verse of today's reading from Isaiah 
talks about another group of foreigners, but not Gentiles. They are the outcasts of Israel. Even in the 8th century BC, there were them who should have been us. What will the Lord do with these outcasts? He will make them into us again. He will gather them in preparation for his salvation coming and his deliverance being revealed. As the psalmist says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. When people find out I grew up in Indianapolis, they ask me if I'm a Colts fan. And I reply that when I lived in Indianapolis, the Colts were in Baltimore. Indianapolis had taxed its residents to build a domed stadium called the Hoosier Dome at the time with no team to play in it. They then enticed the Colts to move, and they left Baltimore in the middle of the night, literally, to come to Indianapolis and play in what had become known to the locals as the Doomed Stadium. Nonetheless, my father was a Colts fan. In his last years, he wore his keys around his neck on a Colts lanyard, his only winter coat, he didn't get out much, was a Colts jacket. He liked watching the Colts, but he never referred to the team as we or us. And after Peyton Manning left, there wasn't much to identify with anyway. Now, when I was a student at Indiana, I didn't have any problem saying we had won a football game, even though that didn't happen very much. I'm proud to say we won the NCAA basketball championship in 1987, and that we were the last basketball team to have an undefeated season, that is, the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers. But I won't say we haven't won a championship since 1987. I'll say Indiana hasn't won a championship since 1987, just to keep a little distance on the negative statistics. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. So said Isaiah nearly 3,000 years ago. If those of us who are called Christians will do this, keep justice and do righteousness, that will make us different, even separate us from the people around us, just as the Sabbath laws made the 8th century BC Jews different and separate, so God's justice and righteousness separates us from the world's justice and righteousness. Obedience to God creates yet another us and them, or so it seems. Remember, though, that salvation has come, that God's deliverance has now been revealed. What Isaiah could only see in the future, we now see in the present. Because that salvation, that deliverance, is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in our Lord and only in our Lord that all nations of the earth can come together, removing those walls between us and them. Lots of walls these days, right? Lots of separation. The 38th parallel still separates the two Koreas. Those things in your ears separate you from others walking along Carlsbad Boulevard. The five NCAA championship banners hanging at Indiana University separate the Hoosiers from every other Big Ten school. The psalmist says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. In these days of division, both serious and silly, there's only one way for these walls, these separations, to come down. No government official can do it. No dictator has ever done it. And neither has any freely elected official. More money cannot do it. Indeed, money does more to separate us than almost anything else. Even a winning basketball season won't bring down divisions. Believe it or not, even science cannot do it. When COVID-19 runs its course, when we go to bars and gyms and restaurants again, we will still be separated from each other, always trying to be just a little bit better than the other. The solution to separation is not science, government, or money. 
So why do we still look there? Why do we still read books, watch videos, and listen to lectures about stuff that only pretends to bring us together? Instead, we should listen to what the Lord says. Keep justice and do righteousness. That is what the Lord is doing, right? And don't we, his church, want to be a part of that? I think we do. Then, as the psalmist says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.